I invite you to turn with me in your pew Bibles to page 867, where there we will read our scripture for this morning, Psalm 30. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction? Am I going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim, proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. As far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. As I was uh, studying for the sermon this morning, um, one of the commentary series that I use um, told a story uh, that I'd never heard before. Um, it was about a man named Natan Sharansky. He was a notish, noted Jewish dissident uh, who became a member of the Israeli parliament. Um, and he tells the story of his imprisonment by the KGB and the Soviet Union. And during those years, his one constant companion was a book of the Psalms that his wife had given him. Uh, now, Natan, he's not, he was not particularly a religious man, uh, but he nevertheless found that the laments in the Psalms and their hope of deliverance became an encouragement to him. And when his nine years in prison were over, he was taken to an airport outside Moscow to be flown to East Germany and then to freedom. And the Soviets, of course, made sure that photographers were on hand to capture this act of humanitarianism as the authorities uh, were, uh, led him out of the car to the waiting airplane. Right, basically, look how good we're being, look how nice we're being, that kind of thing. And as this exchange took place, uh, Sharansky asked, where's my psalm book? Um, a KGB officer responded that he'd received everything that was permitted, and he ordered that the prisoner be put on the plane, but Sharansky, he boldly proclaimed, I won't move until you give me back my psalm book. And when nothing happened, he fell down in the snow and started shouting, give me back my psalm book. The photographers were uh, shocked by this outpour, this outburst, uh, and they uh, stopped taking pictures. They pointed their cameras toward the sky. Um, because it seemed to be uh, a moment of embarrassment. But after a brief consultation, he was given his psalm book. And on the plane, this man opened his book to fulfill a promise that he had made to himself while he was in prison. 
His first act of freedom would be to read Psalm 30. Psalm 30. You lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Now, we've been looking this summer at a number of psalms. And Psalm 30, um, of course, there's lots of debates about what kind of psalm it could be labeled. Is it a lament psalm? Is it a Thanksgiving psalm? Well, one of the reasons why there's some confusion about that is because there's a lot of lament language. This talk about going down to the pit. This talk about speaking to God and saying, God, if I'm dead, what good does that do you? I can't praise you if I'm dead. Talking about uh, being sick and, 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 and being close to death. And so all this is lament, right? But the difference between lament and, uh, and Psalm 30, or typical laments, are hoping that the Lord will bring healing. Hoping and trusting in the Lord that uh, the sadness and the difficulty that they are experiencing now, God will give them relief from. from. Well, Psalm 30 um, is not hoping. Psalm 30 is recounting how God did bring relief, recounting how God did bring um, healing, recounting how God did bring this about. And so there's a, a deep connection between lament and thanksgiving in the Psalms because uh, lament is crying out to God because of a serious situation that you're in, a difficult situation you're in. Well, what happens when God answers that prayer? What happens when God brings relief, when God brings salvation, when God does what he does? Well, what do we do? What's the natural response? What's the appropriate response for the people of God after our laments have been heard and answered by the Lord? Give thanks. And that's why I would look at Psalm 30 and say this is a, a thanksgiving psalm when it ends with the word, Lord, because you've answered my prayers, because you have turned my weeping into rejoicing, because you have taken away my sackcloth and, and clothed me in joy, I will give you thanks forever. And so our theme this morning is to trust God in times of weeping is to reveal his faithfulness to us in times of joy. To trust God in times of weeping is to reveal his faithfulness to us in times of joy. Um, what, another way you could say this is, when we trust in the Lord in the midst of lament, well, when he comes through and when he answers our prayers and when he shows that he is faithful to us, it's like a, a vindication of our trust in him. It's a vindication um, of our uh, that it was for good reason that we put our, our trust and our hope in the Lord. Um, so, let's look at Psalm 30 together. Uh, there's four points this morning. The first is verses 1 through 3. It's like a personal testimony that David is giving um, of his situation that he was in. Uh, the reason for his um, uh, giving thanks to the Lord and the condition and the situation that he was in. Um, the second uh, point is uh, verses 4 and 5. And it's a call to worship. David is then bringing what has happened to him. And he's bringing it before the people of God. And he's saying, 
You should give thanks to the Lord because the way that he has worked in my life is also the way he works in your life. And so if you find connection with the way that God has worked in my life, brought me out of this pit and, and, and uh, redeemed me, then you, Lord, you give thanks to the Lord. Sing to him. Okay. Uh, the third is uh, verses 6 through 10 where David talks about a false security that he had. Uh, the pride that he had and the reason why the thing that the bad thing that happened to him came into his life. Um, and then the fourth is um, verses 11 and 12 uh, where David promises to give thanks to the Lord forever, praise him forever. Um, so let's look at these points in order then. Personal testimony, verses 1 through 3. Well, the first thing that we should note is the uh, introduction to this psalm. It says, for the dedication of the temple... For the dedication of the temple. Um, the word here, temple, is a bit confusing. It could be uh, palace. It could be house. And so there's a lot of confusion about why it is that um, this is called a psalm of David. But um, we're talking about dedication of the temple. Uh, because David was not the one who built the temple, right? Solomon, his son, was the one who built the temple. God said, David, you can't build me the temple because your hands have shed too much blood. And so why, why exactly is this a psalm that David has written about the dedication of the temple or dedication of the house? Well, what we often don't remember is that even though David was not the one gifted with the opportunity to build the house, David did a lot of preparatory work to get the building of the house ready. He saved up money for his son Solomon. He saved up materials for his uh, son Solomon. He saved up um, instructions about how it was going to be built for his son Solomon. And he also, he also picked the place where it would be, would, would be built. And uh, if you know this story about the place where the future temple of the Lord would be built, um, it's actually quite an interesting one. And it's a one that I think mirrors David's expression in Psalm 30. That if we could point to a, a time in David's life that he is speaking of here in, in Psalm 30, it would be um, this moment written down in the First Chronicles chapter 21. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, what we read is that David decided to number all the fighting men in Israel. And if you're reading Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, um, and you think to my, yourself, well, why is it bad that David does a census? I mean, we just got done doing a census not too long ago, right? Um, we had to fill out all this stuff. It's not a bad thing that... Um, the U.S. knows how many people live and what region and, and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff or whatever. Uh, but David, David decides to do a census in Israel. And this is what we're told about this. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. And so David goes to his commander, Joab, and he says, hey, count the people. And Joab's like, are you sure you want me to do that? And David's like, yeah, go ahead and do that. And Joab was like, are you sure you want me to do that? And David's like, yeah, go ahead and do that. And so what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is David is being filled with pride about all of the fighting men of Israel, the size of his army, and the amount of land that he has now occupied and taken over. David is being filled with pride and he is saying, I've done this thing. 
Isn't this wonderful? I've done this thing. What happens? Well, what happens is the Lord sends David a prophet, Gad. And Gad came to David and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine, three months of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then, decide how I should answer the one who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. I mean, this is the kind of reason why I, I don't want to be in a position of power like this. This is what David had to decide. He had to decide whether in Israel there would be three years of famine, whether for three months there would be armies that would come and kill his people, or whether for three days there would be a sickness on the land of Israel and people would die. I mean, I will choose D, none of the above. Is that an option? But this is what David does. He says, I trust myself to the Lord. I trust myself to the Lord. And so he chooses the three days, right? And so then uh, the Lord sent a plague on Israel. And guess how many people died because of David's pride? 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. They say pride comes before the fall. Can you imagine the deep sense of responsibility that David would feel for those deaths? And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David, he looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. And David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down after this days of pestilence and 70,000 people have died. And here God is, he's about to strike Jerusalem. And the angel of the Lord stood over uh, the, the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I'm the one who sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? O oh Lord, my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an, order, an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David, he went up to the uh, threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, and when Aruna saw him, he, he said, hey, take whatever you want. Take the threshing floor. Take all this stuff. Take all of my animals. Take whatever you need and, and, and use it for the Lord. I'm giving this as a gift to the king. And, and you know what David said? He said, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. 
This is a humbled man. This is a humbled man. So David paid full price for this lamb. And he built an altar on the Lord, uh, to the Lord there. And he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Then the Lord spoke to the angel. And after the sacrifice, the angel put a sword back into its sheath. And in verse 28 it says, At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. The tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the desert, and the altar of the burnt offering were at that time on the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Well, you know what uh, that place is? The threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite, it's the future place of the temple of the Lord. And David experienced this. And in fact, he, he seems to even say here in verse 3, verse 2 and 3, that the, the pestilence that went across the land, that he had gotten sick himself. Oh Lord my God, I called you for help and you healed me. Oh Lord, you brought me up from Sheol, from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. David is given a personal testimony of how in this moment when he was filled with pride in this moment when God's wrath struck out against the nation of Israel 70,000 people died but but David was witness to the reality that God's anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. And that's why he takes this personal moment that's happened to him, his learned lesson of being filled with pride and being humbled by the Lord and realizing that if you repent, if you humble yourself before the Lord and you repent and you turn back to the Lord, that the Lord will not strike again. The Lord disciplines his children. He does. But he does not forever. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And so David takes his personal testimony. He, he turns to the people of God in a worship service. He's like, hey, listen, this is what happened to me, and this is how you are to respond. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For are we not witnesses? Are you not witness to this reality in your life? God's anger. For God's chosen people, God's anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night like a pilgrim. Who comes in and stays the night, but is gone the next day. Rejoicing comes in the morning. I love how Psalm 30, uh, the, that verse is written in the Psalter. His holy name, remember you saints, Jehovah praise. His anger lasts a moment, his favor all our days. For sorrow like a pilgrim may tarry for a night, but joy the heart will gladden when dawns 
the morning light. Why does David call us to worship God for this reality? Because it is true that when we are in the midst of suffering that we experience in this life, it's true that when we are in a continuous struggle with something that is going on in our life, we tend to think that this will be forever. We maximize it. But for the people of God, that's not true. What is true? is that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Now, I am not saying that every time that we experience suffering in this life, it means that God's angry with us. I do know that biblical reality of discipline for, God, for those that God loves is, is something that we should wrestle with as Christians. It's spoken of in Proverbs, it's spoken of in the book of Hebrews as a Christian reality. Um, that God loves us. And part of his expression of his love towards us is he does not let us continue in sin without alarming us, without teaching us of its consequences, without informing us of the kind of pain and suffering that these choices will incur. God does let us experience the, 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 uh, the, the consequences of our sins in order to teach us um, what happens when we are filled with pride, what happens when we are filled with lust, what happens when we are filled with uh, fleshly desires and we pursue them um, without any restraint. This is what God does for us to teach us because he loves us, okay? But this is what I want you to think of when we think of that phrase, his anger lasts only a moment, his favor lasts a a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I want you to think, I want you to think of those dear Christian brothers and sisters that you may know personally, um, that you uh, may have read about in a book, in a story. Um, I want you to think of those dear Christian brothers and sisters who experience chronic pain for their entire life. I mean, the kind of pain that, um, that makes you cry out, God, why? I wanted you to think of those dear brothers and sisters in Christ who, um, who get in a freak accident and then the rest of their life, uh, they're limited or challenged, not able to do the things that they love or could do before. I mean, why them and not me? But this is what I want you to think of. I want you to think of the kind of faith that they express in the midst of those challenges, those sufferings. The kinds of sufferings that maybe most of us won't experience. And here's the reality that I want you to realize. If God grants someone the gift of life and their life is filled with suffering and chronic pain, for their entire life very, to the very last moment, to the very last breath. And that last breath 
echoes into an eternity of God where he wipes away every tear and they get to spend forever with him in joy and pleasure and wonder and glory, then the truth is his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. You see what I'm saying? Whatever suffering we experience, whatever hardship we experience in this life, it is a moment. It is in the blink of an eye. It is a bleep on a radar. It comes and it goes. That's the perspective that we should have as Christians. The perspective we should have is that for the people of God, weeping may be an experience in this life. The discipline of God may be an experience in this life. But the life to come, that's a lifetime of God's favor and grace and mercy that never ends. That never ends. And so David continues to uh, tell us about his um, personal experience going on from verses 1 through 3 to verses 6 through 10. The false security that he says. Uh, he talks about in verse 6, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. That's the pride that he's expressing that he had in, in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 21 when he decided to number all the men. He said, I will never be shaken. He forgot that these blessings were from God. He forgot what the people in the wilderness were taught. Yes, when I fed you, what you the food you needed for that day, I gave you the water that you needed for that day. It was hard for you to forget that I am the one you must be dependent upon. I am the one that you must trust in, right? You, 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 you learned that lesson, but no, you forgot about it because you went into the promised land and you were filled with so much uh, a blessing, so many blessings. You inherited vineyards that were not yours, cities that were already built. You were filled your tummies with milk and honey and you forgot that all this was from the Lord and David did the same thing. He made the same mistake. He forgot and all his blessing from the Lord that what he had was from the Lord. And he began to think that he was God. I will never be shaken. And so, in verse 7, he says, Oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stay firm, my hill country stand firm. Lord, when you favored me, uh, I felt as if nothing could hurt me. Nothing could get to me. But this is what happened. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. Do you... Understand that sentiment of God hiding his face from us. Do you have a, a moment in your life where you can relate to that? That you felt that God's face was turned from you, that he'd hid your face from you, he was not favoring you anymore with his presence. Well, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know that when we are in the midst of prideful arrogance, when we 
are in the midst of pursuing sin boldly in our lives, the sense that God has turned his face from us is an expression of his love. It's an expression of his love. It's an expression that he cares for us. So what I want you to think of, I want you to think of if you have your own children. And I want you to think of your children growing up and making choices. Like, I'm going to do drugs now. I'm going to be promiscuous. Now, the kind of parenting that's popular today is to say, you're my friend. I love you no matter what. I will always be proud of you. No matter what choices you make, no matter what you do. So go on, carry on living like that. And so that child is now emboldened to pursue a life of destruction that could end in their death, that could end in serious illness. Now, I'm not saying that we stop loving our children when they do bad things. What I'm saying is the expression of displeasure from our Heavenly Father is a key to us that whatever is going on in our life is not good. It's not for our ultimate good. It's not for our benefit. It's not for our blessing. It is harmful. It is sickness. It is death. It is destruction. And so when we sense our Father's displeasure, when we sense His turning our head from us, that is a wake-up call to us. And it was to David. He said, everything was great. You were blessing. But then when you hid your face, I was dismayed. When you came and you spoke to me through God the prophet, and you said, you have disrespected me. You have counted the men. You, because of your pride, you now have to face these consequences. That was a wake-up call to me that I have gone on a path of death and destruction. I am having a banquet in the grave. I have lost my way from my heavenly Father, from his blessing, from his favor, in the path of life. That is an expression of God's love to us. And I will say too, that if there are things that your children do that God disapproves of, your disapproval of those things is an expression of your love to them as well. Disapproval does not mean disownment or lack of care or love. Just as in the truth that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. His disposition to us says, I'm displeased with you, but if you turn from this course of action, if you turn from this sin, you know that the moment that you do so, there will be an embrace. You see, we can go to God and we can say, God, 
We wish you were dead so we could have our inheritance. And we can walk away and we can go and we can spend all our money on prostitutes. But if we find ourselves in a pigsty wishing we could eat what the pigs are eating, if we say, God, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me a slave in your household. God, he will not whip us. He will not smite us. He will not smack us. What he will do is he will run up to us and he will put a ring on our finger and he will say, my son that was lost, he's back. Kill the fattened calf. Let us have a feast. That is the heart of God toward us, his people. And that is the heart of God toward us, his people. And that is the heart of God towards David. He sensed God's disfavor. And so he cried out to the Lord, What gain is there in my destruction? Am I going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. So David prayed to the Lord. He repented and he turned back to the Lord and he said, Lord, I entrust myself to you. Lord, show mercy. David, he went, he bought that threshing floor because he wanted sacrifice to the Lord to not cost him nothing. He wanted to show God that his heart had been changed by what had happened, that his pride had been destroyed. And he went there and he offered a sacrifice to the Lord and in the sacrifice to the Lord appeased his wrath, appeased his wrath and he gave them mercy. He ended the pestilence and the sickness. The angel of the Lord sheathed his sword the Lord heard and was merciful. And so then, what does David say? Because of the Lord's um, everlasting favor, but his momentary anger, he says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. There have been times in all of our lives, I think, when we were in the midst of wailing and weeping. And that time of wailing and weeping passed and it turned into a time of dancing. There have been times, I think, in all of our lives where we were, uh, figuratively speaking, wearing sackcloth. Um, but those times passed and, 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 and instead of being clothed in sackcloth, we were filled with joy. What we should be realizing and acknowledging in those moments is that God, God is the one who heard our prayers in the midst of our weeping, in the midst of our sackcloth. And God is the one who answered our prayers and God is the one who turned our wailing and dancing, our sackcloth into joy. And just like in our lives now, we experience this on a temporal perspective. Uh, a season of mourning turning into a season of joy. A season of weeping turning into a season of dancing. There is going to be an eternal crescendo of this reality. And that is that you could say that our entire life on this planet right now as we experience it and as we live it. As our entire life right now in this sin-cursed world, we are in the time of wailing. Sackcloth, suffering, and hardship. But it will give way in the life to come 
to dancing, to joy. And that's why when David says that my heart may sing to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. How can we say that we will give thanks to the Lord forever? How can we tell the Lord, Lord, we will give thanks to you forever? Well, in the same way that David offered sacrifices on that altar, God provided for us a sacrifice that appeased his wrath, that his joy may abound and abound forever and ever, his favor on us. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ, his son. His son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and experienced all the wrath, all the hidden face of God, all the disfavor of the Father, and the eternal sense, so that we could experience the favor, the blessing of God in the eternal sense. That is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And that is the heart of the gospel. And that is the reason why David says to all the people of God, you're to sing to him. And you know why? Because his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You are to sing to him because when we trust in God in the times of weeping, we reveal his faithfulness to us in times of joy. Jesus wept so that we could have eternal joy. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us I think they're going to handle the situation. We'll continue in prayer. Yeah, you okay, Judy? Okay. Do we need a call?
as they figure that out, we'll, we'll finish up in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, we just pray for Judy right now. We just pray that there's no serious injury. We pray, Heavenly Father, that, um, uh, that she's well and she's, she can be cared for. Uh, we also give thanks, Lord, for this time of preaching. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you bless us as we continue in worship right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to move forward to the confession of faith at this time. So if you could please rise. We're going to uh, 